Okay, we are back. Now I'm self-conscious because Brian always says I introduce this show really weird every week. I go, hey, it's your girl, Anna Roisman. She's unemployed again. Is this part of the episode now? This is part of the episode now. You know I love to be organic and just rock it out. Um, This is is day two of recording since I've lost my job, since I'm actually unemployed again. Uh, I only did it for the podcast, you know? I I asked him, I was like, listen, let's just get rid of this company. I got this podcast popping off. I need to be unemployed again. That's really committed. Thank you. (laughs) You know, it's like being a method actor. Lose the job for the pod. I'm a method podcaster. <laughs> yeah, I think you made the right choice because podcasts pay out like real well. Huge, yeah. I'm just rolling in money right here. You go. Here's thirty dollars. Go buy yourself a, a nice lunch with that. Yeah. Brian's staring at me like, Anna, you're not. Stop. We should we cut this part out? Yeah, it's gonna get cut. <laughs> you did. Can I say something? We did do an episode with Matt Richards, and you cut out someone's name that I shouted out, and they they said you asked my question, but there was no name, and I was like, oh, I blame Brian for that. He edited. There, you there out. must have been something weird. That yeah, I like a pop to cut or something. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we are back. Here I am, raw, unemployed. You know, shit like this happens to a lot of people, uh, especially on Twitter. I found out <laughs> whenever I post about the podcast there's a lot of you out there who are unemployed who are at a job that you wish you weren't at and you want to change careers or you want to I don't know do something else you want to lose the job but you don't want to lose the job because you got a family to support I get it I get it completely Uh, but this is the podcast where I talk to my friends comedians creators actors about jobs they've had and you know losing them or or never getting them or still having them. I don't know. Wow, my guest's face just dropped. <laughs> I'm so excited for today's episode. Oh, I have my friend Griffin Newman on the show. You might know him from Blank Check with Griffin and David. He is also an actor, a comedian. What's up, Griffin? Hi. Thank Hi. you. That for was bad. Me here. I no. said your credits after your name and no, I never no, do that. No, no, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Now you said that you had been given some nicknames that you were supposed to call me. Oh, Brian has all the nicknames. What am I supposed to call Griffin? Well, at first I said, say he's not Professor Crispy. Oh, I, I know that's not gotcha. you. That's right, been, right. But you were um, going to, that's a kind of fun twist that you yes. were going to, okay. Uh, Gosh, we're going to sneak that I, in. But, I was going to call him uh, the, the, the Griffinator. Yeah. I like that. Um, but you said, oh yeah, he's from New York. And I said, yeah, call him Downtown Griffin Well, Nooms. that's the big one. I've been really trying to make that happen. <laughs> downtown Griffin Nooms? Downtown Griffy Nooms. Downtown Griffey News. Griffey News with a Z. Did anyone call you Griffey growing up? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. It's you walk downstairs, you're like, hey, family, I'm going by Griffey now. And they're like, can you go back upstairs? You know what, actually? No, I'm going to correct myself here. My father has one nicknaming structure he does for everyone. Oh. Which is Blanky Blankowitz. Blanky Blankowitz? Yeah, so, so he would call me Griffy Griffowitz sometimes. Ooh. My brother, he calls Jamesy Jamesowitz. Am I Annie Anowitz? You would be. Ooh, I like it. It sounds like Annie extra Leibowitz. Jewish. Right. He <laughs> likes making anyone sound like an old Jewish uncle, <laughs> I think. But like even like the my dad's dogs, like the Scruffy, he calls Scruffy Scruffowitz. Wow. He's got the Y already in the name, but the, then the name has to become Scruffowitz. That's that's great. So my dad, I guess, would call me Griffy Griffowitz, but I never thought about it as Griffy because it was always, it was one Griffowitz. thing. Yeah, it's the one Griffowitz thing. The was the headline for me. My dad does the opposite. Our dogs have like cute nicknames, but yeah. he gives them a full 
uh, like Frank, he he was like Francis or Francois. Uh-huh. Sure. And then like George, they were like George. I was like, no, it's just George. <laughs> they were like, we'll make them French. We'll make them longer. He's just doing it with a different accent. Yeah. yeah. But I like your dad's uh, method. That's Yeah, he throws that out at everyone. I've been trying to make downtown Griffey Nooms a thing, but... Listen, it's a thing now. It's, it's a, a thing. thing on the it's Unemployed Show podcast, at least for right now. I mean, on Unemployed, we're like, downtown Griffey Nooms is here. I want it to be Unemployed Canon. Unemployed Canon. <laughs> That's my big goal for the day. Okay. Yeah, cool. You got a lot of requests. Okay. Let's see how, how many we can. I have a writer. <laughs> I've, I've seen it. Look, I built up a little bit of a reputation in the podcast game, and I'm going to do things the way I want to do things. You heard um, that. You heard that right here. That's how he gets the job. That's how I get he the job. He walks jobs. into a room and he goes, here's my ride. That's how I make that big podcast guesting money. <gasps> That's what people realize, they don't realize, is that starting a podcast is just means to an end so that you can guest on other people's podcasts because that's what really pays out. <laughs> the guest You're spots. You're giving all the secrets. I'm giving the secret. I'm trying to get people employed. Yeah. Yeah. It's helpful. Except I'm unemployed right now. It's not helping me. But you're helping me by being here. Well, So we were just talking about it. And then you were like, we should stop this and talk about it on mic. Right. Because whenever I see friends who I haven't seen since I was employed, you being one of them. We did a couple shows. We were like seeing each other very frequently. Yeah, Yeah, we did Doug Loves Movies, 12 Guests of Christmas. Yeah. Shout out to Doug Benson. Huge fan. A mensch. I mean, a mensch beyond. Dougie Dugowitz. Dougie Dugowitz. (laughs) And then we did- Downtown Dougie. Downtown- Dougie B. Dougie B. And uh, Dougie Benz. And um, and then we, we did the Jew show. Not to brag, but every year at the UCB Theater in New York City, they do an improv <laughs> tournament between the Jews and the Christians. Yes. <laughs> it's whatever it is, like the Thursday after Christmas. And it was so weird. They were like, do you guys want to be on the Christians? We're short a few people this yeah. year. And we were like, the Leibowitzes are here. <laughs> uh, just kidding. We were on the Jewish team. Yeah, but tell them what happened. We won. We fucking crushed. And this is this is the only reason I want to brag about this. Jews had lost like 10 years in a row. Right. And then we won last year. And it was like, is this like a, a one-off, a an fluke. anomaly? Is it a fluke? Mm-hmm. Is it a statistical error? <laughs> and then to have two in a year feels like... At least it's getting, like, even again. Right. You know, we have a chance. <laughs> Two out of ten, you know? Yeah. I'll take it. Jews but, are coming back, you know, yeah. especially in entertainment. It oh, just totally. shows that we're going to start making things happen soon. But we we were seeing each other a lot, and then, like, uh, you know, after show bar hangouts and stuff yeah. like that. And then, and then you reached out to me, asked me to be on this show, mm-hmm. and then— you lost your job. And then you said yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he waited till she, he's like, I'm not doing this podcast unless it's authentic yeah. as fuck. And I, she's actually, I unemployed. want the brand commitment <laughs> that you now are fulfilling. Right. So I walked in and I was like, all right, yeah. end it. Cause I got to get Griffin on. He's sure. not coming on till I lose <laughs> this fucking job. I got to lose my job. But yes, this is the first time we have seen each other since right. HQ shut down. And when you walked in, you're like, you gave me that hug. You know, a lot of people have given it to me yeah. this week. You're like, how are you? Yes. How how emotional are you yeah. is the question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and what we were starting to talk about, and then you were like, pause this, let's set up the mics, let's talk I about know, it. I know, because it was great. Is, is that losing a job like that, right? Yeah. Especially, I think, a creative job. It's something you, you really... Uh, care about are invested in, especially yep. something that is that uh, consuming, you know? Yeah. Uh, for good and bad, something that like takes a lot out of you, has involves a lot of commitment and whatever. 
um, feels like a breakup where you go through the weird waves of it. And what I was saying to you was you get older, you you go through these things time after time after time. And so every time you think, well, I've gone through this enough. Mm -hmm. I've lost it enough. I've had the rejection enough that this time I'm going to know how to handle it. Right. Like I'm just, I'm numb to the pain now. You know, I'll have the little pang at first and then I'll be fine. And it always is is so tricky. Yeah. Um, it's so, and it hits you at different times and moments yeah. and throughout your day. And yeah. it is a loss. It's weird. Especially I did it for almost a year and a half. Yeah, that's crazy. I worked for seven days a week for five months straight yeah. without a day off until my grandma died. And I was like, guys, I got to go home. I have to go to my grandma's funeral. Uh, and when you're on, you... It it requires so much focus, so much energy, so much concentration. Yeah. Like to be live streaming a thing like that, <laughs> knowing the number of people who are tuning in, how seriously they're taking it, what's at stake for them. Oh, yeah. And wanting to like host the game correctly and also remain entertaining and funny. Uh, I could never have done that. No way. I stress out thinking about doing that job. Really? Yeah, totally. Totally. I've specifically stressed out thinking about doing HQ. <laughs> Do you no, ever audition? No. No. No, cuz I I mean it's not like I I was asked and turned it down. They didn't want me to do it, but I, I, I just sort of, I abstractly think about things like that. Do I think I could do that well? Would I be happy doing that? Yeah. You know? Uh, and, and HQ is specifically a job I thought, I don't think I could handle that. Wow. Interesting. Because you're a very funny comedian. You're very quick on your feet. Like, even in conversation, I would think you'd probably nail live. I'll say this. I think I could do it, like, once. I think I could, <laughs> I could prep myself for it, like mm-hmm. emotionally. You know, you can't prep yourself for it in terms of like getting off book or whatever. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of variables you have to like, you know, I'm not, I'm telling you what you did. Um, no, but, but it's true. People don't realize we do prepare. And sure. you can prepare, you write your script and you re- I rehearse and everything. Yeah. And then, you know, oh, the audio and video is not synced because there's a glitch and the entire show is thrown off and you have to restart and then you have to tell everyone why you're restarting, but you can't say we had a glitch. You can't say that. And like, people are stressing out because there's money on the line. Oh, yeah. Like, I think I could do it once and I think it would take a week of emotional preparation and a <laughs> week of emotional come down. I don't think there's any scenario in which I could handle what you did doing it seven days a week for a year and a half. Wow. I don't. I, I have I have tremendous respect. There came a point in the beginning, I was very, I'm very hard on myself and I'm a perfectionist. So, Same here. Yeah. So in the beginning, I would watch back every show yeah. I did. And I, you know, if I said something weird or I didn't like, yeah. how I, or I flubbed a word or something, I was just like, oh my God, like I, it would crush yeah. me to watch that. And then there came a point where it was like, you really, especially with a daily show, you yeah. really have to just it's like an audition, at least this is how I treat a lot of my commercial auditions or auditions where it's like you go in, you do the best you can and you fucking forget about it because you got to go back in the next day and you got to do it again. And maybe that'll be better and maybe it'll be worse and who knows. But I don't know. I've been doing my podcast for five years now. Yeah. And that comes off of doing- You created podcasts. I well, me and Conan O'Brien, you we're Conan and Doug, and Doug Benson, and Doug Benson, and Serial Sarah Koenig. It you was guys the are like the OG crew. Yeah, you're like yeah. the Rat Pack of podcasts. We were all part of the same fraternity, and in college, we were like, "What if it's like on your phone?" Yeah, I um, love it. No, but I, I've done this show for five years, and before that, I did another show for a year, and another show for like half a year. You know? Yeah. Um, 
And and it was a curve to, as someone who is very hard myself, wants to be a perfectionist, but also was very stressed out and overwhelmed all the time, to not feel like I have to bleach the hard drive every time I misspeak. Mm -hmm. And literally just mispronounce a word. Yeah. Or mumble or stumble or whatever it is. Let alone if I say something where I'm like, that came off the wrong way. You know, that's even harder to deal with yeah. than just literally like a, a speaking error, <laughs> you know, like yeah. a lapse in clarity yeah. or like brain function. But you do have to get to the point where like, I will beat myself up over those things, but then you have to sort of go, you cannot invest too much in the preciousness of any one thing. No, you can't. If you're doing a podcast, if you're doing a morning radio show, you know, yeah. or like a talk show right. or HQ. Good Morning America. For example, <laughs> any of these things, I guess you have to get to a point where like you keep your standards really high mm-hmm. and you try to work the hardest you can and stay as focused and grow and get better and like, you know, problem solve, you know, work around how to make yourself the strongest performer you can. Yeah. But also, if something goes wrong, it's like that's one out of hopefully a thousand. Right, tons. You know, I just keep doing this, mm-hmm. and that one isn't going to matter that much in the grand ocean of what yeah. I'm doing. I remember the first night I cough, I had to cough. I had like a tickle oh, in my yeah, throat. Yeah, And there were we were at the last question, and I was like, all right, I know there's a graphic once we hit the winner, so yeah. if I can just wait until... And you you see my eyes like water, and I'm like, all right, last question. And I and then I coughed during the graphic, and my producer's like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. I was like, I was waiting to cough. And she's like, you can cough. Like, and yeah. I and I started to get more comfortable over time. I just was like, oh right, I could I could sip water if I even need to. Like other hosts do that. But I just thought it's a 15-minute game show. I don't need to sip water. Like I get mad when comics have like a 10-minute set and they're up there drink chugging a beer. And I'm like, why? Sure. Why? Sure. <laughs> well, and that's that's sort of what I wanted to get at with you, which is like it's it's not exclusive to the creative field and it's not exclusive to performing. But it's if you have a type of job like that yeah. that requires that much of you, that is such a constant process where there's no kind of like, it's never going to become just like default presets. Mm-hmm. As much as you can develop the muscles in second nature, yeah. you know, it's, it's always going to be a challenge like that. When that goes away, <laughs> it's, it, your brain, it takes a long time to figure out how to... Yeah. Reckon with that loss. Yeah. Both in terms of like coming to terms with the emotions of the fact that it's gone and also just, I don't know what to do with my head now. Right. Like my brain is trained to spend this much time thinking about when I can and can't cough. Yeah. You know? It's so weird. These weird outputs of energy that then suddenly you don't have anything else to apply them to. Yeah. Yeah. Last night I had, this is like kind of related, but it's been hitting me at weird because it's only been a week Mm -hmm. and or a week and a half. And happy one week anniversary. Thank you so much. Happy week anniversary. Happy unemployed anniversary. One, one and a half weeks. Yeah. Uh, I saw Jagged Little Pill on Broadway last night. My best friend from college. Yeah. Thanks. She had an extra ticket like last minute. Her Mm -hmm. friend bailed, I guess. And she was like, do you want it? And I was like, yes. And it's my favorite thing to do in New York City is to go and see a Broadway show. It's Mm -hmm. literally, I can lose myself. I love it. And I came home and it's funny because my brain is used to doing my show at night. And I came home at like, I don't know, it was over at like 10, 10 30. And I come home and I walked in the door. And usually when I come in the door, like it's after work and my dog and my boyfriend are there. And Uh I I walked in and I just like got, I started to cry and I was like, I I had so much fun tonight, but I wish I was at work. Like I wish I was coming home from work. It's weird. Well, and it's, 
it's in that way so similar to dealing with a breakup. Yeah. Because it's not just like, well, this is a person I used to spend a lot of time with and now they're gone. It's like you develop habits. Yeah. You develop um, behaviors based solely on your uh, uh, relationship. That's the word I'm looking for. Your your proximity yep. to this person. That when that person's gone, even if it's because the relationship wasn't going well and you right. needed to end it. Sure. Even if it's your choice, you're still just like, what are my neural pathways doing now? Yeah. Because I understand I have feedback loops here, both negative and positive. Yeah. You know, the things you love and the things you hate in a job like that or in a relationship like that. Yeah. Uh, that just, you don't know what to do with them anymore. They just become like closed off tunnels. Yeah. Yeah. This is great. This is like therapy for me. I feel like this is really. I went, I went through a bad job loss and a bad breakup both last year. And I know. I, I felt like one happened and then I was just sort of coming to terms with it and the other one happened. And yeah. I'm just now maybe coming to terms with it. But I, I wanted to talk about it. Yeah. I don't know if we should get into that. Usually I start back earlier because I wanted to talk about other jobs sure. you had. Yeah. So you grew up in New York. I grew up in New York City. And yeah, that's why they call me Downtown Griffin News. Have you heard? Have you guys heard? People downtown call Griffey me News Downtown Griffin News. With a Z. Don't yeah. forget. Don't you should forget really just, me. have you changed your Twitter handle to that yet? I oh I think I did. It was that for a while. I might have changed it and back it for some reason. It didn't latch on. People didn't like start just I like, know. wow. Yeah. Well, I think because character limit, I couldn't fit that in, but I made it my display name and not my handle. There you go. It might still be. Anyway, 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 I am done. Hunker for names. Thank you for respecting. <laughs> Putting no, respect on that name. No problem. Yeah. Um, all right. So did you have, what did, did you know you wanted to be an actor or comedian when you were younger? Um, I... Did you have the bug? Yes, yes. I had the bug. Mm -hmm. the, the bug was show business. And where I wanted to be within that would move around a lot, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but you always loved movies, I assume. I always loved movies. I loved comedy. Um, but it was like, you know, if you asked me when I was five, I was like, I absolutely 100% without question, I'm going to become a professional magician. <laughs> you know, it was like, you know, I wasn't just a kid who liked magic. Sorry, Brian. I just like spit on. I was like, <laughs> I don't know what you were going to say. On fire? I, I, in my brain, you know, when someone like sets you up like that, and I was like, yeah. he's going to say astronaut, he's going to say president. Sure. <laughs> and you were like, magician. And I was like, nope, wasn't no, even. I mean, my that's mind. the thing. It was always, always without fail, some kind of showbiz thing. Mm -hmm. You know, even if it was, I want to be a director, or I want to be a writer, or I want to do this, or I want to do that, it was always something kind of showbizy. I, I really feel like the thing that was like my big activator in life was The Muppet Show because mm. it was about the creative process because The Muppet Show was so much behind the scenes. And that was the thing that like as a kid, I think the way a lot of kids will see like a cowboy or an astronaut or a princess, you know, some like a, a right. ninja. A like profession, some, yeah. Well, you see some sort of archetype. Mm -hmm. That is fantastical. And you're like, oh, I want to be that. And you play that on the schoolyard. Yeah. I was so entranced by seeing Kermit be stressed out <laughs> trying to figure out how to do the show. <laughs> you know? Do you know what I used to say? What? I said, I want a show called Anna because if Roseanne can have a show called Roseanne... Why can't I have a show called Anna? Anna, I did the exact same thing. Oh, good. I swear to God. <laughs> really? I, had, I said the exact <gasps> thing to my parents. I would do that and I would like- It's funny I, to say that now. Huh? I know. <laughs> one, of my, one of my earliest memories is being like four or five in like preschool yeah. on the playground and uh, running in my head 
the opening credits of the sitcom and what order the other kids- The people. <laughs> in the class. I mean, like, in retrospect, incredibly narcissistic behavior. Oh my God. But I was just like thinking, like, what would the, like, the theme song be? And then of course- which when each of them is introduced, they turn to the camera and like smile. Yep. And I was like, what order? Like what order in terms of closeness of friendship oh, wow. with these four-year-olds? I was like casting it. Yeah. My brother and sister were always just like my backup dancers or like sure. the other people sure. <laughs> in the scene. Yeah. And I was like the kid who would like ask parents if I could perform at their kid's birthday party. <laughs> Like I would do like magic shows or puppet shows or things like that. You I picture know? you like five year old Griffin's like, "Yo, I have a tight five. Can I? Uh, yeah, you guys I mean, got pretty guess much. Page I was so serious about it. Like, <laughs> I, you know, I'd like write a play and then ask the teacher if I could put it up during lunch, <laughs> and I would like make props at a masking tape. Like it was just I. I constantly just wanted to do something like that. Yeah, and it was. I was just so sort of like entranced by the way show business looked. You know, (laughs) but, but also the energy of what the people seemed like, you know, when you're five and you don't know, uh, Harvey Weinstein exists sure, and you're just like, man, it's just Judy Garland and, uh, Roseanne Rooney, they're in a, in a backyard putting on a show, Roseanne, she's herself (laughs) and people love it. It's her name. Yep. Like that stuff I always loved. So I, I always knew I wanted to do that sort of stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and would do comedy and would act in school plays and would write a stupid amount and mm-hmm. make short films and stuff like that through the end of high school. And then by the time I got to the end of high school, I uh, resented the fact that people thought I was funny. Wow. I was in my weird, I think- So I, cynical. <laughs> very cynical. Very, very angry, sullen teenager. Okay. I was a really, really angry teenager who also was- a class clown. Got it. And I think I was very like at odds with that because uh, I, I think primarily I wanted girls to take me seriously and want to kiss me. Okay. You know? Sure. But and, then they were like, you're so funny. Well, and also, and you were like, fuck you. <laughs> because I like love comedy and yeah. like had spent most of my childhood watching this stuff obsessively and, and studying it and yeah. trying to like learn the muscles for it. Like, in high school, I had an improv troupe with a bunch of friends who uh, lived in the city, but a couple of them lived in like New Jersey and Connecticut and would take the train in every weekend to do this in like my parents' living room. Wow. And we were like 15 <laughs> or 16. We did it pretty much every Saturday without fail for three hours. Wow. Just running long form improv. Sick. And we couldn't <laughs> we couldn't perform anywhere. I mean, oh, we no. did it for three years. And Wait, I think you guys never did shows? I think we did three shows in total across three years of practicing every week. Did you find the triple crown? <laughs> well, a big problem was we couldn't, we were too young to do bar yeah. shows. And I remember once or twice we did a bar show and had to like sneak in and sneak out. Like we were like rehearsing how we were going to walk into the bar with our hoods up confidently. That's endearing. Go to to the backstage. Right. Like at the Parkside Lounge. Yeah. Where like um, uh, Variety Underground used to happen. Uh We we did that. That's like our cherished, like we have a playbill, a physical playbill from (laughs) Variety Underground probably in like 2005 where- 
Aziz opened for us. Oh, wow. Which he didn't. Aziz asked to go first because he had seven other sets to do that <laughs> night. We're, we constantly were like, remember that time Aziz opened for us? I love that. But so we were just like, I was doing this shit all the time. Yeah. And then resenting the fact that even though I kept on trying to do funny things because I was fascinated by comedy and how it worked, then I would hate that girls would go, oh my God, you're so funny. Right. You're like asexual, right? <laughs> No. Uh, it said to me a couple times. Um, but so, yeah, by the end no. of high school, I was like, I am I am very serious. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to be a very serious filmmaker. Uh-huh. And people are going to be astonished when they hear that I used to like comedy. <laughs> like, I was like, I'm going to be fucking... Like- I can be anyone I want to be in college. Yeah. I was like, clean flip of the switch. Oh my God. I'm going to totally remake myself. I'm going to rewire my entire personality and all of my <laughs> interests. And I'm going to be Stanley Kubrick. And people will say, can you believe Stanley Kubrick used to do improv? <laughs> Before he he turned his back on it and became the most serious filmmaker in the world. I love this. This uh, is great. Yeah. And what happened was I went to college and like within six months had a complete mental breakdown. Oh, no. Because uh, I was I was you trying. Weren't Kubr- you weren't Stanley Kubrick. You were. Yeah. And it was like. You a, were too funny. It was like akin to. Well, it's not that I was too funny, but it was like. It was akin to like trying to suppress like my sexuality or something. Yeah. You know, it was like these things that like fundamentally I'm interested in and that appeal to me and that I like doing that I was telling myself, you're not allowed to do this anymore because I don't want people to look at you this way. Yeah. And I just started going like crazy, just absolutely crazy in so many bizarre ways. Oh. But also- It's also just the age. I feel yeah. like people don't even know how to respond to like performers or- Totally. Entertain- in, in- like right. you're a theater nerd. Yeah, and I was at an Boom. art. Yes, <laughs> I was at an art school. Yeah, but I was studying like live action film directing in college. Yeah. Okay. I was only there for like a semester and change. Okay. I dropped out very quickly once I started losing my mind and was like, something's going wrong here. Mm-hmm. I need to reassess. Okay. Um, but uh, I, I yeah was like, I'm going to be here with all the serious film kids, and then I started more and more being attracted to the performance students. Mm -hmm. And even though I was like, well, I used to do this. I don't do this anymore. I'm never going to perform ever again. But can we sit down and like talk about like acting? Right. You know, like I wanted to like compare notes with them on what it feels like to act or like processes and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, Similarly, I went to school for TV production, mm -hmm. but I had grown up doing theater. Right. And I didn't get into the theater program. Okay. And I was kind of like rebellious because I still auditioned for the shows and Mm -hmm. I did all the act, I did all the shows in the theater that I could, but- I was in these production classes, which at the time I was like, ah, I'm producing too, or like, yeah. which are more helpful now in my life than than I thought they'd sure. be. Oh yeah, but yeah, yeah I was like, I'm going to rebel and I'm going to act anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my thing was so weirdly and and completely self imposed. <laughs> you know, I was just like, nope, not doing any of that stuff that used to give me such great joy anymore. Yeah, but you were still figuring it out. Totally, you're young. But, but the, you know, the fatal mistake was thinking that I had to make a very strong decision as an 18-year-old yeah, no. about who I was going to be for the rest of my life. No, um, I still haven't made that decision, and I'm 19, so, yes. you know. Well, to be clear, I'm 20. Yeah, We're of course, both obviously. very young yeah. youth, uh, the ultimate currency I do this, this a lot on the podcast, and someone wrote, wow, I'm almost twice Anna Roisman's age. And I was like, <laughs> I'm sorry, what episode did I say my age on? And they were like, this one, you know, where you said you were 24. And yeah. I was like, oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. sure. Of course, yes. <laughs> yeah, I was lying. I'm younger than that. <laughs> yeah. 
All right. So then you decide you're going to be an actor. Well, when so does this, that happen? This is my transition moment. So I, you know, I, I had performed a lot when I was a kid. Okay. Um, including there was this woman. She still exists. She is present tense. She is a woman <laughs> who runs a program in New York City called Kids in Comedy that is uh, stand-up uh, for children by children. Wow. And they'll do like shows once a month on like a weekend afternoon when a comedy club isn't going to book anything else. Cool, yeah. And I did that when I was young. It was sort of like after years of doing Little League, <laughs> you know, like weekend sports leagues that my father pushed me into doing mm-hmm. alongside my brother who was a jock and loved doing that and I was miserable. Yeah. I found this thing that was like my equivalent of that, which was uh, doing one uh, six-minute stand-up set a month, you know, for Perfect. an audience of uh, children and their parents. <laughs> um but it was a thing I, I really loved doing. And I think at, at that point in time really helped me find myself yeah. before I then, you know, became angry and, and questioned everything <laughs> about myself. Um, but so from when I was doing that, there was always the thing of like people who would come to the shows would then ask if I could like audition for something mm-hmm. because I was like a funny kid. Sure. And my parents very much did not want me to become a stage child, uh, which in retrospect I am very grateful for. Wow. Um, I used to beg my parents. I begged them nonstop. It was oh, all please. I wanted. All I, I wanted. Jealous I still of, tell them. I'm like, do you know yeah. how successful I'd be right now if you just let me like quit but high I, school? <laughs> I also think my brain would be even worse. Yeah. That's the thing. I'm I like, know. I do think I probably could have done well if I if I had parents who really like were focused on it and maybe I'd have a better career now. But mm-hmm. I also think I would be a complete disaster of a human being. Are your parents in the entertainment industry? Yes, yes. My my mom did a lot of different things, uh, including acting for a while, okay. and then pretty much retired uh, when my brother was born. Mm-hmm. But was was pretty much done acting by the time I was born. Okay, and was a stay at home mom, and then since then has worked as a casting director and has been writing scripts and yeah. does stuff. My father, so she she sort of really wanted to be in the entertainment industry and never. Uh, found her place. And now in recent years, only in the last like 10 years, I think has been doing stuff that that she really loves. Is enjoying. That's good. Right. But um, had felt kind of defeated by it, I would say, mm-hmm. um, uh, prior to having a family. Um, my father uh, wanted to be a sports broadcaster mm. and uh, failed, uh, had his chance <laughs> and by his own description uh, blew it. And didn't What's know what to do. Uh, Peter Newman. Uh, Peter Pedowitz. Peter Pedowitz. Yeah. Uh. And then he sort of through a weird series of events like became a independent film producer. So he was doing like very low level independent films, mostly like mortgaging the apartment and mm-hmm. constantly stressing out trying to get stuff made. And then he pretty much retired like uh, almost 20 years ago and teaches at NYU now. Oh, wow. But so he kind of never wanted to be in it and got out as soon as he could and yeah. preferred teaching. My mom really wanted to do it and felt like it kind of broke her and now has gotten back in. But I very much grew up in a household where they were like, this is a bad industry, you shouldn't do it. Mm. And I would be like, but the Muppets. <laughs> and they would be like, it breaks people. Yeah. Look at us, we're both miserable. No. And we're on other sides of this. We're not going to let you be a stage kid. My um, mom's a dentist and uh-huh. my dad's a lawyer. So when I was like, sit down, it's time for the Anna show, they yeah. probably were like, oh, she's not our kid. Like, where <laughs> did she come from and why? <laughs> why is all she wants to do is sing on a Broadway stage? Yeah. 
My parents were like supportive of me doing it as like creative expression. Yeah. But just not of me doing it as a career. I think mostly out of fear for me. Yeah. Like I it was get protective it. fear. They'd been a part of it too. They'd seen it. They'd yeah. Experienced it. Yeah. Yeah. So so throughout my childhood, I would occasionally audition for things. Okay. I never really got any jobs. Um, and only rarely even came close to anything. Mm-hmm. But I had like made some connections through those years. Yeah. And I was in college, miserable, uh, uh, kind of losing my mind, uh, uh, like not recognizing my own behavior anymore. Yeah. In a way where I was like, something weird's going on here that I will spend years trying to figure out in therapy later. Right. And I need to figure out how to like make myself happy. Mm-hmm. And I and the, you did though you recognized that enough I did. to be like I gotta go figure this shit out. So I emailed this guy, this connection I had had, this uh, agent uh, in New York City who I had met when I was younger, and said like I don't know if you remember me. Uh, we met however many years ago. You put me out on like one audition. Yeah. Um, I'm in college right now, and I'm really miserable, and I kind of want to start acting again. Could you put me up for something? Which, in retrospect, I cannot believe they did not uh, delete that email. <laughs> but what happened was also ballsy of you, honestly. Like it, so many people are afraid to ask to be on stuff or do something. But it's a like, perfect example of I hurt. did not realize how ballsy it was to send that email. It, it is right. Yeah, right. I but I if I knew it was, I never would have sent it. <laughs> you know. Well, then it's good you didn't. Know. Right. I was completely lacking in self awareness at that moment. And I emailed this guy and in like a real stroke of luck, his assistant sees it and decides to like, I don't know, why not? Uh, I was in college out in California. So it was like, I'm in like, I'm LA adjacent. Mm -hmm. There's stuff out there. Um, And they sent me out on one audition. Uh, I skipped all my classes the following day. I locked myself in the communal restroom to practice it in the mirror by myself for like four hours. (laughs) Um, and then I went in and I did it. And uh, the next day, the writer strike started. No, <laughs> the day before. Yeah, truly. <laughs> like the. And you were like, I did this. <laughs> the email for the audition said if you arrive at the audition and there are picketers outside, the audition is canceled. <gasps> That's your way of knowing that the strike has started. Wow. But so I went, I went in, I did this thing. The next day, the writer strike starts. But this assistant calls me and he goes, like, you got really good feedback. Mm-hmm. Like, they're, they're not going to hire you. And who knows if this thing's ever going to get made now. And it never did. Um, like, you know, they want someone famous. But I, I guess you can do this. And I was like, I don't know. That's what I'm trying to figure out right now. And um, so that winter when I came back home for, like, the holidays from mm-hmm. college— I went and met up with him in a diner and this assistant who I'd never met before. And I was like, look, I, I really want to drop out of school and I'm kind of losing my mind. And I think I want to try to see if I can do this. Mm-hmm. And I would drop out and just sort of try to start doing comedy and auditioning. Do you think you could get me like auditions? Like if you think you can get me regular auditions, I, I will drop out and I will do this. Wow. That's he, a lot of pressure for them. A lot of pressure. <laughs> and he said like, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll do as much as you're willing to do. Uh-huh. You know, like I'll meet you there. And where I was lucky is this guy who's still my agent today is, uh, was, was very, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, he was very focused. Like he really wanted to. He wanted I mean, he, to help you. Well, no, but also he wanted to, he didn't want to be an assistant for five years. Mm-hmm. He wanted to be an agent. He wanted to expedite that. 
And I think we both saw in each other, like, this is an opportunity to test out what it's like to work with the other person. Yeah. Like, he was like, what is it like if I have a client? I can sort of quietly have this guy be my client yeah. and use my resources as an assistant where I have all those emails that I'm getting. Yeah. And I can slide this guy into their audition Those list. are the best agents. Right. The ones who want to be agents. Exactly. So he was really hungry. Yeah. Um, and I was too. And, and so I dropped out of school like, like a month, two months later. And I started auditioning and like doing open mics and stuff. Cool. Um, and now I say cool because I mean, like a lot of people would be like, don't drop out, but which everyone told me you and figured out yeah. there was something you wanted to do. You knew yeah. you, you went with your gut. It sounds like, and, and, I, and by the way, you know, I was, uh, still incredibly, uh, miserable and unsuccessful and lonely, but it was the productive type of misery yeah. where it just immediately felt like, oh, I am sad now because I'm struggling to do the thing I want to do and should be doing rather than being sad because I'm pretending I'm someone I'm right. not. You're trying, you have to, yeah. Yeah. So, I think you made the right choice. I it think sounds so too. Like for um, where you were. Yeah, right. That was when I was 19. I'm 20 now and it's been great. Right. So you were back in New York? I was back in New York. Mm-hmm. I mean, I called my parents and told them I was not going to move back to New York. And they <laughs> talked me out of that. Right. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to stay in Hollywood. And they're like, you don't have a driver's license. Yeah. So I was like, I'm moving to Austin. And they're like, you've never been there. Like I ran through all my alternate London plans. wants me. Because <laughs> I didn't want to feel like, oh, I failed and I came back. No. But it's also different. It's different when you're from New York I City. Know. Which I was I was not recognizing. Yeah. You know, that I, I was really lucky and privileged to have grown up in New York City mm-hmm. and to have going home be a place where there was like work I could do yeah you know or I know if I went to, to school I went to college in Boston mm-hmm. but I obviously looked at NYU and I know if I went to school in New York I probably would have wanted to drop out I'm like I'm already right, here just be in New York yeah yeah <laughs> Boston was boring though you know I could just sure school was the most exciting thing we could do yeah <laughs> anyway um but yeah but then it was I mean it was years of me Getting intermittent, very low-paying jobs and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, living, stretching those dollars as far as I could mm-hmm. and then getting short-term jobs in between. Did you have any crazy, like, weird survival jobs while you were auditioning? I, I had many, many. I mean, some that were very short, some that were longer. I The big one is I worked at the Disney store for, like, five or six months. Oh, wow. In Times Square. Wow. Which was a nightmare. <laughs> Why? Uh, Just because of the people? That's part of it. Um, I mean, you. there's a lot of stores in New York City. You, correct. You went there and got a job there, right? On your own yes, two feet. I did. I had, at that <laughs> point, applied to a lot of other stores that had not hired me or okay. responded to my application. Um, Fuck them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and look, and now Toys R Us is bankrupt. There so who's go. laughing yeah. now? You know what? No one needs that yeah. Ferris wheel in Times Square. Yeah. That wasn't just the coolest thing in the world. Yeah, it's- that wasn't my favorite place. The only place I truly <laughs> felt happy in my life. Um, and you walked into Disney and you were like, I'm a Disney kid through and through. Fuck Toys R Us. Sure, yes, yes. No, I was like, uh, there's a lot of stuff that Disney has that I am... Uh, passionate about. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd, I'd, I'm less of a Disney nerd than I am, like, I'm a big Pixar fan. They mm-hmm. had just bought Marvel. Like, there was, like, all this different stuff that was under the Disney umbrella that I was knowledgeable about. <laughs> and I was like, if I'm going to work a retail job, it would be nice to be selling something that I vaguely care about. Yeah. But also, they were the only one who responded to my audition. It was, like, a, 
my addition, my application. All the terminology at the Disney store is uh, uh, theater adjacent. So you oh. are a cast member. Oh. The store is called The Stage. Beautiful. The cash register is the box office. So you're basically on Broadway. <laughs> That's what they want you to think. You're playing the role of... They're like, you know the Lion King? Yes. I'm the adjacent uh, yeah. actor of the Lion King on Broadway. But it is also, I mean, you are playing the part of a Disney store employee who isn't depressed. There you go. That's kind of the character you're playing. Because <laughs> um, most, I, I, I would say probably most of the employees there, or at least at the time that I was there, mm-hmm. especially being in Times Square in New York City, were aspiring uh, musical theater actors. Right. It was a lot of people right out of musical theater programs in college, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of that energy. Yeah, oh yeah. And it's that energy where people are really on, like, dimple smile, you know. Because they could get discovered at any moment. Totally. And then you'd go to the break room and people were so angry and bitter. They crack. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I mean, people were just so catty and just mean about everyone and everything. Um, and I was, I was mostly doing stand-up at that point. Like, that's the thing I was putting most of my energy into. So I definitely yeah. had a very different... They probably thought you were the coolest kid in town. No, I think they didn't get me. People were very, <laughs> I, like, not, like, confused, but they, I would get asked a lot. Like, so what's your story? Like, what's your deal? You don't seem like you should work here. <laughs> um... It Were was, you like, that's exactly why I want to work I guess so. I was like, Did you get also, good material? I guess least? that's a compliment. Yeah, I got really good material. The big thing that happened was I, I worked there for several months. It was uh, like five or six months. It was kind of maddening. It's very repetitive. They constantly have sheep, secret shoppers around. Mm-hmm. So you're constantly- I worked in restaurants for seven yeah. years. I know the secret shoppers. Yeah. And you're being judged by like Disney corporate. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So you have to be on all the time. And being on literally means that there's like- copy their specific verbiage you're supposed to use. Mm -hmm. They're giving you performance notes all the time that are literally like the the circumference of the circle with which you wave. Yeah. You know? Your wave isn't big enough. Your smile isn't bright enough. Your tone isn't whatever. So all of that was like, as someone who's performing, good practice, I guess, (laughs) but not doing the kind of thing I want to do. But it also just makes you feel very paranoid that at all time everyone's judging like your personality. Yep. Um, You're like, I'm here to sell a fucking stuffed animal. (laughs) Yeah. And at this time, and I I, I went back to the Disney store. I had an appointment uh, yesterday in that neighborhood and I walked by just to try to compare my notes because I knew I was going to be here on the show with you. And this has changed, but at the time I was working there, they had three musical tracks that they played on a loop and that was it. Wow. If you're working an eight-hour shift and you're working five days a week and you might be working weird hours because it's the Times Square Disney store which stays open until midnight. Yep. You know, sometimes you're opening at six o'clock in the morning. Sometimes you're closing. It was, But you got the Disney catalog, famous, the famous Disney songbook, (laughs) endless options. And it was like three music, (gasps) like it was... uh, I think uh, Bare Necessities was one of them. It's there, a small world. Did they? Play? I don't think it was. And then mm, there was one that world. I recognized yesterday that I still don't know what it's from. It was playing when I walked through the store and I was like, right, this track. I don't, I think this is an They're original piece playing. of music <laughs> written for the Disney store. <laughs> I will say when I went in there yesterday, it seemed like they had 
20 songs that were playing on loop okay. rather than like three. But it was literally three songs without lyrics playing on loop incessantly. And they expect you just to like You feel like smile. you're going mad. <laughs> yeah. Right. And you're just constantly smiling and uh, you're dealing with a lot of uh, Taurus. Yeah. Um, it was rough. And then I, I'd been there for, you know, a handful of months and I was um, cleaning up. There, there's, you know. Uh, Is this how it ended? Because I'm really excited yes. to hear how it ended. They make you do shifts that are, uh, what's it called? It, it might have been called visual. Can you do a visual shift? Which is, can you pick up garbage from the floor, but we're uh, trying to make it sound fancy? Right. Because you're not a janitor? No, you're a cast member. Right. And one of the main <laughs> jobs I would get thrown on was um, second floor greeter, which okay. is the worst job you can possibly have within the, the Disney store Times Square Yeah, second tier. Your second tier. You have greeters on the first floor. Right. No one needs to be greeted again. You're superfluous. They go up the escalator and then you're going, hello, welcome to Disney. Have a magical day. You know, like doing all of that. Oh, but you were good at that just now. Honestly, I felt like, wow, I'd go to that store. I click back to it. <laughs> um, That's but, why he's a good actor. Well, well, I, I, I did the training. I put the months in. I you put did. in the work. Um, but the thing they would give you as a second floor greeter to make you feel less redundant mm. is a big roll of like dentist office stickers. Yeah. You know, like that massive wax paper roll of stickers yep. uh, where you would hand them out to the kids so that it would feel like you had a reason to be there despite the fact that you didn't. Yeah. Um, so then if you got put on a visual shift uh, after working a shift as the second floor greeter, pretty much means you're spending the afternoon picking up the sticker rubbish that you had handed out. Mm. Like the wax paper backing, which just feels like you're stuck in like the worst feedback loop of all time yeah. of your own creation. So I was walking around and picking up these wax paper backings of the stickers and going, like, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this. And I, I bend down to pick up what I think is a, a piece of sticker backing. And as I get closer, I find out is in fact uh, a, a bag of heroin. <gasps> What? It was a small baggie of heroin. In the Disney store. In the Disney store Times Square. Oh, shit. It was specifically right by the shelf of Bambi plush. <gasps> no. Yes. And just open, like not hidden, like clearly had just fallen out of someone's pocket. You Whoa. know? Just a baggie of heroin. And I had this <laughs> moment where like time stopped, you know? I'm like on my knees in the middle of this store. I think it was Memorial Day weekend. Like we were like packed. And I'm holding this baggie of, of heroin. Oh, my God. And I go, what do you, what do, you do with this? <laughs> and my first thought is, well, you just go and you throw this out and you don't tell anyone you found it, right? Right. But um, I don't even know what my reaction would be. But I, that day, rather than being second floor greeter in the morning, I had been working as the uh, cash register. Mm -hmm. And when you're at the cash register, it's all like computerized, like you have to put in your thumbprint for your shift so they can keep tabs on how you're performing. Sure, But money. also they take out the garbage bags underneath you. Everyone has their own individual can at each register and there are like eight registers. They take out the garbage every half an hour and the garbage bags are clear and they inspect it. Whoa. To make sure that you don't have like contraband, that you're not like throwing out merchandise, that you're not, that there's nothing, such a paranoid environment. Oh my God. Right? So here you are with your bag of heroin. And I'm like, I can't throw it in the garbage because either <laughs> it will be the can that I had just been working on. I was the last person to check in there. Yeah, they already think you're a weirdo doing comedy. <laughs> or I'm throwing it into someone else's garbage can and and like making them a fall guy, oh, you know? No. So then I was like, okay, what you should do is you should put it in your pocket 
And then when you get off from work, you throw it out in the garbage. And then I was like, no, that's a terrible idea. You're not going to keep heroin on your person (laughs) for the next six hours and then get off from work in Times Square and try to figure out how to dispose of heroin (laughs) in the middle of Times Square. You can't do that. So then I was like, well, you know what? I'm very absent-minded. I lose things all the time. When I lose things, I get so stressed out. Why don't I just put this back where I found it and pretend I never found it? So this person, someone else it's heroin, this. it's valuable. They're going to come back, probably try to find it, pick it up off the floor. Sure, take care of their children, bring right. them back to New Jersey. Yeah, go it. see the production of Jersey Girl. They had matinee tickets for <laughs> Jersey Boys. Jesus Christ, I fucked up my own joke. It's okay. Um, but... Uh, but then I was like, you can't, you can't leave heroin for children in the middle of a store. And also, why should, why should that piece of shit be rewarded? Yeah. Why should I let him get his heroin back? Not a making a gendered assumption that the heroin addict was a man. <laughs> Women can be heroin addicts too. I believe in equality. Yeah, it was probably Mickey Mouse at this point. It was point. probably <laughs> Mickey Mouse. In this store. <laughs> so then I went. And all of this, by the way, time's frozen. I probably, this has been happening for all of three seconds and I'm running through all these options, right? Mm-hmm. So I was like, you might be overreacting. You don't know that this is heroin. And the genuine thought I had was, you should smell it to make sure it's heroin before you do anything <gasps> about it. I gotta be honest, I don't even know what heroin would look like. So the fact that you already thought it was heroin well, is- that was my thought. I you went are th- from New York City. You know, you've seen a lot of shit. Sure, but I went, you moron. That's not, you know, you, you, that's so no. stupid. You're not going to smell heroin. You don't know what heroin smells like. You should taste it. You should taste it. <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely had the thought. And then I realized, oh, you've been now on the floor holding this thing, staring at it intensely for like eight to 10 seconds. Like now you've been down there long enough that now someone's going to notice you and now you're holding heroin so you have to do something about it. So I just like went like to the closest superior. <laughs> Not like an ultimate manager, but like an assistant stage manager or whatever. And I was like, Shakira? And she was like, what? And I was like, come over here. Is this what I think it is? And then she went like, what? And then just took it from me and walked away. <gasps> and I was like, what the fuck's going on here? And then 30 minutes later, like 10 cops came in. What? Yeah. And they had to do this whole process to dispose of it. And my manager came back to me and she was like, I really want to thank you. You like handled that situation appropriately. We confirmed it was heroin. The cops have gotten rid of it. Oh shit, you were right. Yeah. Um, I've been working here for five years. That's the craziest thing that's ever happened. So thank you for that. Uh, Also, don't talk about this ever to anyone. (laughs) We don't want to promote that there was ever heroin in the Disney store. You're like, I'm going to be on a couple podcasts in a few years. Uh, Don't worry. (laughs) No, I think I went to an open mic that night and did my fucking set and then was like, I should quit. Yeah. I'm not, what am I doing here? I found heroin. <laughs> I saved a generation of children. Yeah, you- Single-handedly. Literally are the hero of the Disney store. Right, I'm like, Bloomberg's going to give me the key to the city at any moment. Yep. I should quit. And I quit and then didn't work for months. <laughs> yeah. But was I like, love that you quit. You know, I really didn't I know did. where this was coming. I, if you're going to taste the heroin and then you yeah. accidentally put your thumbprint down and they're like, oh, we're breathalyzing everyone. I don't know. We're, <laughs> and Griffin's on heroin today. No. no, I quit. I quit. And I quit. I worked at a comic book store for a little while. Um, babysat a lot. I worked at a preschool. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would sort of do like not even editing jobs, but like, 
log and capture jobs, mm -hmm. the worst uh, <laughs> for those who don't know where you're literally just sifting through footage and essentially marking it so yep. that an editor later can find those clips easier. Yeah. Uh, that, like that kind of stuff. Like it was just sort of anything. Like yeah. working as a research assistant for someone who was trying to write a book. I mean, and that was like most of these things I would either crap out of or I would quit or, you know, like, but it was, yeah. And then, you know, like once a year I would get some little acting job mm -hmm. where I'd be like, I have $5,000, great. Now I need to figure out how to survive on $5,000 for the next 12 months. Yeah. You know? <laughs> That's always, you get a job and you're like, oh, cool. How can I make this work? Right. Like I still live paycheck to paycheck right yeah. now, unfortunately. I mean, hopefully one day soon that won't be, but sure. right now, you know, it, it's, I'm good at that. I'm good yeah. at figuring out like how I can stretch this out. Yeah. But I, I think I was very aware that I didn't want to. And I, I had the luxury that, uh, you know, I was very privileged growing up in New York. Uh, if everything went wrong, I could always move back in with my parents, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, uh, I, I had an agent, you know, like I had all these really, really lucky things in yeah. my corner. So I didn't want to... doesn't matter, though. It's still not easy. It's still not easy. People always say, oh, I just need an agent. I'm like, no. I mean, right. ever, you can have an agent. You still have to do the work. You still have to, like, right. Which figure I, it out. I had all these advantages, and it was still incredibly fucking hard yeah. and scary all the time. But because I had those advantages, I didn't want to... Um, let myself get too deeply into anything else. Like, yeah. I was like, I'm never going to take a day job that could become a career. Right. That has any sort of future in it. I felt the same way. You know, like, yeah. I want to jeopardize myself in a way. Yeah, I want something that I don't need to put all my mental, you know, capacity in because I know where I want to be, you know, right. with my brain right now. So I'm like, the less I have to think about at this yeah. job the more creative I can be because right. I have the capacity to I, do that. I want it to actually take as little mental capacity as possible so I have everything left over for the other stuff. Yeah. And also, when the cash is so tight because it's been a year and a half since you've gotten a job and you're working in retail, you get so much more focused on the creative stuff again mm -hmm. because it always lit this fire under my ass of uh, you need to have uh, justification to quit here. Yeah. You know? And I, I found the heroin and that felt like a nice narrative moment to quit <laughs> the store. But I also... Lucky you. I also had gotten cast in a movie where they were paying me $200 to work two days. Aww. And I had to fly myself to LA as a <laughs> local hire and put myself up, right? Oh, so it was one of those things where God. I was like losing money to act in this movie. Yeah. But even still, the fact that I had like gotten a job, even though it was like going to end up being a net neutral thing. I think I somehow got a round trip flight for $179. Wow. And was staying on a couch and was making $200. But and you then were they, in a movie. They canceled my second day of filming. Oh, and no. they were like, but because we canceled your second day, you're only getting 100. <gasps> they didn't even pay you? Yeah, so I thought like, well, it's going to be net neutral. Like <laughs> I'll make like nothing, but... No. And then I be it became a thing where I was losing $70. Oh, this fucking industry. I know, but it was one of those things where I was like, you know, the fact that I had like... Working there had made me so desperate to quit that I think I put more into those auditions, which yeah. led to me getting a job where even if that job didn't pay, 
then it gave me a little bit of momentum and then I started getting some other stuff. Yeah. But it always... Work begets work, they work say. Work begets work. They say. Yeah. I don't know. I yeah. don't know if that's ever worked for me, but one day it will. I think it has worked for me one time. There okay. was like one time where I felt like I had a run of momentum that lasted for like a, a, the better part of a year. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I guess it's the, that thing where you just, you're made now and you arrive. Yeah. And then it was like, I barely worked for two years after that. Mm. You know, and since then, it's been, like, more scattershot, but with bigger and better jobs when they happen Yeah, sometimes, yeah. you know? Can we talk about your bigger yeah. and better job? Yeah. I know we're running out of time. We might not have time for a call, right? But we'll see. Okay. I wanted to talk because— Sorry, I talk too much about everything. No, I love it. You're great. This is wonderful. Yeah, it's I wanted compelling. To... Oh, Brian's back on the mic. Brian, it's compelling. This is a beautiful Brian. episode. Seriously. I wanted to talk, obviously— about the tick. Yeah. This, you get, this is like the job of a lifetime. Yeah, it was like my my dream job. Yeah, and you talk about this a lot, I know, on your podcast yeah. and stuff, so. No, but I also, I mean, I, I haven't, there's a lot of aspects to it I haven't talked about. Not salacious stuff, but just the stuff that's sort of only appropriate to talk about in a show like this. Yeah. Um, but yes, I'd had this one year where. For those listening, it is a show on Amazon. Where, it was I a show on tick. Amazon yeah. that was, based on an underground comic book that mm-hmm. then became sort of like a cult Saturday morning cartoon show and then a cult sitcom. Yeah. And all three of those things were always sort of just outside of the cusp of breaking through to the mainstream and never did. <laughs> it always was like this like little property that could, that yeah. would get revived and would always get so close to finally having its breakthrough and then something would go wrong. Um, but the thing that's really unique about The Tick is that it is creator-owned and all four iterations of it, the original comic book, the cartoon show, the 2000 sitcom, and the show we did for Amazon, um, have all been the same guy. That's cool. Ben Edlund, who created the comic book and the character when he was 17 years old. That's dope. Um, so it's sort of like different interpretations mm-hmm. of his own world. You know, it's not someone coming in and strategically trying to figure out how we reboot this thing. Right, I got you. Um, but I had been a massive, massive fan of The Tick mm-hmm. growing up. Uh, it was a thing I was really fanatical about. There were always sort of rumors that they were going to try to do a new one because it was this persistent sort of can't-die property. Yeah. And the rumors had always been they would do a revival of the 2000 show, which Patrick Warburton was on, that was really excellent and got canceled way too quickly on Fox. I think they only did nine or ten episodes. Um, So for years, the rumor was they're going to bring that back. They're going to do a continuation of that. Of that show, yeah. Um, And it was always sort of whispery. And then I just got the email one day that was like, you know, um, the, the audition emails are very unglamorous because they're like a form letter yep. <laughs> where they literally just have like name a project, time, location, yep. relevant details, you know, phone or number, not. contact information. <laughs> right. Sometimes there's no contact. Sometimes there's... Right. Dress casual. <laughs> right. But it's very like, it is like a form letter. And so I just get the email that is like, uh, pending your interest in the property, uh, yeah. would you be interested in uh, uh, putting yourself on tape for the role of Arthur in the tech? Uh, which Arthur is the other guy. It's like the tick is a, a two-hander. Mm-hmm. They're the Batman and Robin. Yep. Um, Arthur is like the sidekick in every previous version of the tick. And the idea is that the tick is like 
uh, as I put it, he's like a child's impression of a superhero. Mm-hmm. He's like a little kid doing an impression of a superhero, like, like in his backyard. There. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's just like I like being good and hate bad guys. Yeah, and um, is nigh invulnerable. Is sort of just like all powerful, and Arthur is the opposite. Arthur is a, a Jewish neurotic mm-hmm. uh, who is not in good shape. Uh, who used to be an accountant, already Arbowitz, quit to follow his sort of like true dreams. Yeah, which are I've always wanted to be a superhero, and I couldn't admit to myself that this is what I wanted to do. And uh, he has no powers. Uh, he has a suit with wings, uh, and that's all. He he won in the comics. It's that he bought the suit at a police auction. <laughs> Um, <laughs> which I always loved. Okay. And the first time you see Arthur is he's quitting his job, telling his, he shows up to work with the suit on and it's like his coming out moment where he says to his boss, like, this is who I've always been and I'm going to stop living a lie. <laughs> and the boss is like, you have to pick. It's it's the superhero stuff or the accountant stuff because you can't wear this in the office. Uh-huh. It's too much of a liability uh, for an insurance company. And so he's constantly panicked. He's constantly terrified. He's way too self-aware and way too aware of his surroundings and his dangers to be a superhero in theory. But he's got the tick who's mm-hmm. like the yin to his yang. And so reading that that was the part I was auditioning for. Because when I get the email, I'm like, okay, wow, this is cool. Bringing the tick back. Who would I be auditioning for? The pizza guy? And then I see that it's the other like dude. Yeah. And I went, well, this is awesome, but there's zero chance I get this part. I pretty much why because you thought it would be a, like a bigger name actor. Or I, yeah, I had done because I always think that too. I'm like, right. why are you giving me the lead in this pilot? You know, they right. want a name. Yes, they're gonna take a chance on Anna. I had done a couple independent films for no money that went straight to like airplanes. Mm-hmm. You know, like I had had jobs, but like nothing that was visible really. Okay. I got cast on an NBC sitcom that was like a big pilot and I thought was like my dream job where I was like, you know, the third or fourth lead, like kind of playing the weirdo comic relief character and got fired from it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like the show was uh, picked up conditional on my character being written out of the show, which felt like the ultimate rejection, right? And for two years after that, I barely worked. And I was like, that was my one shot. That was the one time they tested me and gave me an opportunity to prove myself. And it didn't work. And conclusively, I'm not going to make it. And, uh, you know, after like two years of sort of being on the bench, I got a couple little jobs that were like, you're playing the 20th guy in the office and you have one line or you're handing the paperwork to the person. And I was like, maybe I just have a little corridor of occasionally I get paid to be the dude in the background who says one word (laughs) and I'll focus on stand-up and, you know, Mm -hmm. like just try to get as many of these jobs as possible so that I can pay my rent. But who knows? It's it's not that artistically satisfying. And I might have to give up on my dreams of thinking that I could play bigger parts. Um, and so then this thing comes in and I'm like, why would they hire me? Why would they hire me? I'm unknown. You know, I am kind of untested. I got fired from the only show where anyone ever <laughs> let me play a lead character. Yeah. The things that I've been on, even in these small parts have failed. Sounds have, like, like you have all of the qualities though in this character. Totally. I mean, that was the thing, but I knew, I knew like, I know I can play this guy. Like yeah. I know this is a rare character that I am so perfectly suited for mm-hmm. that they could find someone who is as suited for it as me, but I don't think there's anyone who is more suited for it than me. And the only question is, is there someone who is famous and equally suited? Because mm-hmm. if so, they'll pick that person. Yeah. And it was, I just put myself on tape and sent it to the casting director. The casting director I never met, but she had seen self-tapes of mine before. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, uh, for for your listeners, uh, and I'm sure you feel this too, but it's like when you're self taping a thing versus going in, you know, yeah, to an audition where there's a scheduled appointment time and you're reading for the casting director and you're getting feedback in the room mm-hmm. and it feels real versus when you're like asking your mom or your roommate mm-hmm. or like you know the assistant at your agency to. Um, uh, read with you and right to film it and you email them a tape and you're like they're probably never gonna watch this like yeah. you feel like you're throwing pennies down a wishing well always right and and here's a casting director who I've never met and has only seen these tapes and it's she, nice to know they've seen those tapes like totally. it's why it's like you know what still do them because totally and she, your resume right but I didn't think it was gonna do anything she calls me and says um uh, I think you could play this part I I want to convince them to hire you. I think you can do a better tape than this, which is probably the best thing anyone's ever done wow. for me in my entire career. Um, if not my life. I was going to say that never happens. I know. Like, that's great. She was like, I mean, she she just very bluntly and directly said to me, I think you could get this part. I'm going to make the case to them. Your audition tape is good, but I know you can do better. Mm-hmm. And I said, you're right. I can do better than this. I was really scared about this and really overwhelmed by feeling like I had no chance of getting this. Mm-hmm. And I need to like double down. And I did a better tape and she sent it to them. And I met with the creator uh, for coffee in New York. And he was meeting with a lot of people. And it was one of those things where I was like at a coffee shop. And as I was talking to him, I saw bigger name actors walk in and mm. I was like, oh, he's here to talk to him next. Yeah, You know, like people who had been on network television for eight seasons yeah. and stuff like that. Um, but I did just sort of explain to this guy, I didn't tell him how big a fan I was of <laughs> the thing he made because That's I good. thought that would freak him out. Yeah, But I did, because I was such a fan, have such a sense of who the character was that I was like, I think I can say the things to explain to him why I think I really understand this character on a level that other people might not. That I've really thought about this deeply and the parallels with my own life and all this sort of stuff. And a lot of the show is about this particular version of The Tick brought in this whole element of mental health and depression and anxiety Mm -hmm. and all this stuff that I'd struggled with in my life. Met with him and was like, uh, that felt really good. And my agents email me and they say, um, you're his first choice, but it's probably not going to happen and we're preparing (laughs) you for that. Uh, it's it's just it, he's not going to be able to convince them to hire you. They're they're gonna want to convince Amazon. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. just and and Sony's producing the show too. You have two big companies that he has to convince to hire someone. It's so crazy that this is how it. Like I know they can be like, hey, he wants you. But I know there's bigger hoops, so and, don't get your hopes up. And this process, but this was, is big information, right? This process was oh, it's a mind fuck. Unusually transparent. Yeah. I mean, usually these conversations are happening and you're not keyed into them at all. Sure, yeah. And I was actually being told all of this. And everyone's sort of buffering it at every stage of the way, but I just kept on. Yeah, usually it's a yes or a no. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I kept on sort of sticking in there. And then they finally convinced them to screen test me. They had hired an actress, Valerie Curry, who's amazing to play uh, my character's sister. So I screen tested with her and we kind of look similar and we got along really well. And they finally went to them and went like, look at this. I really think this is the guy and somehow sold them on it. And it so was like cool. it was it was a very drawn out like we only did two seasons of the show, but it was I think like really sort of almost four years of my life 
because there was a, between when I started auditioning to when I got the part was three months. There was maybe mm-hmm. three months between when I got the part and when we filmed the pilot. Mm-hmm. It was this old system that Amazon used to do where they would release the pilot publicly right. and then gauge feedback. And people thought it was a vote or a I contest, which it wasn't, but it was, it was so based on analytics. So mm-hmm. you have to promote your own show and try to get people to watch it and give it thumbs up and stuff like that. But ultimately, the numbers aren't the only thing that matters. And then we finally got picked up. And then it was like another six to nine months before we finally started filming season two. Yeah. We filmed season two as, or I'm sorry, season one. We filmed season one as one batch, but they released it and two sections, six months apart. So then there was all the publicity for it. Then we got renewed for another season. There was a whole bunch of pre-production on that. Then we filmed that. Then they delayed our premiere for like nine months. Oh so we were God. sitting on it and then doing all the press and trying to do all of that. So it was it was very much a thing where I wasn't working full time on that. But for, for, for like three and a half to four years, the show was the all-consuming thing. Yeah. And it was... Not exactly like HQ, but a thing that was similarly very demanding mm-hmm. of me and very stressful and very difficult. Yeah. Like I really loved it and I would do it for a thousand more years. Mm-hmm. And if somehow we ever figured out a way to bring the show back, I wouldn't hesitate. Yeah. Despite the fact that it like uh, like I, I fucked up my back doing it. Like it caused <laughs> me injuries and I would still show up tomorrow. Right. But it was a, a very difficult job. There mm-hmm. were so many different factors at play and so many different things that I had to sort of navigate and it was comedy and it was drama and it was doing stunts and yeah. working around special effects but also the added stress of having to be the sort of face of a thing. You know that me and Peter Serafino which who played the tick are like the two leads of the show mm-hmm. and we have to worry about the marketing for the show and doing press and not putting our foot in our mouths and getting ourselves canceled, saying the stupid thing. And you have to put as much energy into doing the photo shoots for what's going to be in the subway station as you do. Yeah, it's so much more than just like being on the show. (laughs) Which has a very neurotic, self-critical person who dreamed of having these opportunities. Of course. It still is very taxing. It's a lot. It's a lot to take in. There's a lot more that you have to think about other than just, I have to give good takes while I'm on set. Exactly. You know, there are all these other factors. I didn't even realize this week with the press of HQ ending, I mean, it's nonstop and all these reporters coming to me and I'm like, I'm not even media trained and like what to say and if I want to talk to them and this and that, like there's so much more beyond the job. I'm like, I just love the job. Right. (laughs) And it was weird that, I mean, Amazon was still pretty new to doing TV shows. Yeah. And we were still kind of like a guinea pig for them in a lot of things that sometimes helped us and sometimes hurt us. But we had zero media training. And for a bunch of reasons that I think were ultimately not the best decision, there was a really short window between when we were making the show and when the show was going to premiere. So all of our press had to pretty much be done while we were making the show. Mm. So it's like we're shooting a 12 to 14 hour day, but also someone's coming by and going, we have four reporters who are going to come by at these three different times and you have to do press with them. Is it better to do it during lunch, which then means you maybe don't get to eat or to do it in between takes? Is that going to mess up your performance or things like that? Yeah, that's a lot. And you don't have media training. 
And it's hard to gauge which thing is more important than others. I mean, sometimes they go, this person's Entertainment Weekly, and you go, right, I know that's a bigger thing. Right. <laughs> but I don't know how big their article is going to be or if it ends up on the website or whatever it is. And you're also talking about a show that you're in the middle of making. You don't really know how it's going to turn out. Yeah. But your biggest fear is that you say the dumb thing that somehow hurts the show or doesn't help sell the show in the right way. <laughs> and all of that's going on at the same time that I'm trying to figure out you're like, I'm already neurotic. Why are you adding yeah, more? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I suddenly am doing so much more acting than I've ever done in my life in every sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, the quantity of it, yeah. the amount of days I'm working, the amount of narrative responsibility my yeah, character has. you're definitely has. not the, the guy in the back who's got that one line, you're going to kill it. Right, which <laughs> like, I, I used to have those kinds of roles yeah. and I would very often not kill it. And you beat yourself up over not killing the one line. And then when you suddenly have... Every other line, it becomes really stressful. So it was one of those things where people would go when I was like in the middle of working and I would tell people sort of the stories about everything I was going through. They would go like, oh man, it sounds really tough. I'm, I'm sure you'd probably be relieved if the show ended. And I'm like, absolutely not. I would be a mess. And it was becoming clear the people in charge at Amazon had totally changed. And by the time we were making the second season, it was like, we are not in good standing. Ugh. The people who now are making the decisions would not have renewed us. It was very clear that they didn't like the show, that they were like, this is not a choice we would have made. So, While you're in the middle of filming. Yeah, yeah. So it, it immediately became this thing of, for an obsessive person like me, I'm gonna transition straight out of working on the show to figuring out how to save the show. You know, it was like, I'm going to burden myself. Like I- You've turned into the superhero. I'm going to feel, <laughs> you know, because I don't I don't want this thing to go away. Yeah. And, and part of it is I love it. And part of it is it's like the fear of unemployment thing. Yeah. It's like, I don't know what my mind is going to do if I don't have this anymore. I As, felt the same way about HQ. It's right. like, you see the views go down and like, yeah. what do I do? Do right. I tweet more? Do I? <laughs> right. And you're like, the grind of this is tough. Yeah. But I also know how lucky I am to be doing this. And mm-hmm. I know that I'd rather deal with this difficult than the difficult of I'm sitting on my couch in my apartment with nothing to do. Yeah. You know? And I don't know where my next check's coming from. And I don't know what to do with my time. It's like, I've dealt with that difficult for the better part of a decade. Yeah. Uh, the decade between being 19 and being 20. Sure. Um, but, but yeah, I'd rather deal with the difficult of this. And yeah, I'd, I'd thrown out my back and herniated like three discs on the last four days of filming. Oh, God. So I'm like injured and going, my full-time job now is figuring out how to save this show. You know, like cold emailing people at different outlets and people who worked on different shows and trying to figure out any way to set up like, okay, ostensibly this thing is going to premiere however many months from now and I have this time to try to set up whatever I can do to promote the thing. Mm -hmm. And just kind of went crazy trying to do I hate that you took on the burden of all of that. I know, which no one was asking me to do and everyone in my life was telling me you probably shouldn't get this invested in it. Yeah. Like this is, you know, there's a really good chance this doesn't work. Uh, You know, just the odds aren't great. And, you know, you're, you're burdening yourself with the idea that the success or failure of this and continuing rests on your shoulders. Yeah. And I would sort of like try to clarify and go like, I don't think it's that. It's more that if the show dies and I don't feel like I did everything I could to try to save it, 
I will live with more regrets than if the show dies and I had sort of just given up. Yeah. I had come to terms with the fact that there was probably nothing I could do. Yeah. So I tried to do everything I could do within my sanity while also letting myself physically recover. <laughs> you know, and like walk normally just again. Just picture you like fully wrapped up in like, you know, ace bandages yeah. and you're like, watch my show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Um, And yeah, and then it, you know, it like, it, it premiered and it very quickly got canceled the way we sort of knew it, it would. Like they were just waiting for the foregone conclusion. It felt like there was kind of nothing. There was no way we could have performed that would have changed their mind, mm-hmm. save of it suddenly becoming like Fleabag season two. and being You on finished the, the second season though, We right? finished the second season. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The last episode is half me with pain medication trying not to cry. Uh, but but yeah, yeah, we finished the second season. It came out. We did 22 episodes, which in retrospect is- it's huge. Kind of insane. That's yeah, major. For an incredibly weird show where the Fox version had only lasted for like eight episodes. Mm-hmm. I think the animated series was 35. I competitively was like, it'd be cool if we could be the longest running one. <laughs> and we missed that. Of course that you are. Target, right. <laughs> But um, 22 episodes is huge. It's and huge. you got this off of a self tape. I know, which shouldn't happen. I mean, is, is like, yeah. It, you know, hopefully you're at a place. I hope now you're at a place where you're, you're distanced, you're distanced enough from mm-hmm. it that you can appreciate it for the experience that it was and totally. what you learned and what you totally. got out of it. And I feel incredibly proud of it mm-hmm. and really proud of sort of. The battles I picked in terms of which things I stood my ground on, Mm -hmm. you know, creatively, the things I felt really strongly about, it was the first time I hadn't, uh, any sort of creative job where I had the confidence to feel like I can fight for what I want to do. Whereas usually it's like, tell me what to do. I just want to make you happy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then you watch the thing later and you're like, this is not funny. And I knew it wasn't funny. (laughs) And I am just so terrified of the person who controls whether or not I get $100 that I don't want to push back, yeah, you know? I got you. And this was the highest stake job, but it also felt like the one where I was like, I, I have to be comfortable, like, sharing my opinions. Mm-hmm. And trying to do that while also not being an asshole. Like, I want to be a collaborative, right, supportive, nice person to every single p- person who's working on this set, but also trying to do the stuff I can be most proud of. And I rewatch it and there are a thousand things I wish I did differently, but there are a thousand things also that I look at and I'm like, I can't believe that worked. And yeah. that I like, that I, you know, had the confidence to stick to that impulse and it worked. That's good. Uh, and I feel really good that I did it. Uh, but but it is that weird thing of just like, there has certainly, the show got canceled like a little under a year ago now. Mm-hmm. And from the moment, you know, when we got canceled, we tried to do the thing that every TV show does where you do the online fan campaign and try to convince someone. And they went to every single possible outlet Mm -hmm. to try to get them to buy a third season of the show. And contractually, it was really complicated. There were a bunch of things working against us, not to mention they were also trying to sell it at the point in time where every single company is trying to start their own rival streaming service and don't want things that they don't own outright. Yeah. And ultimately, they were going to have to share custody of it with two other companies or pay those other two companies 
crazy amounts of money to then gain full custody. To have it, yeah. And it's just like no one, it's not worth anyone's time for a show that I think did fairly well and that people liked but was always a weirdo show for weirdos. There you go. <laughs> you know, it was. It was a weirdo show. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've, like, I've had the, the tough time over the last nine months just figuring out like what to do with myself. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I have the podcast I do, which is like a very fulfilling thing. Yeah. But it doesn't have the same level of mental stimulation, both right. good and bad. I mean, you got used to being on a set and working right. for 14 hours a day, which right. is a lot different than sitting on your couch going in and totally. recording a couple podcasts. Totally. Episodes. And like doing something <laughs> like HQ where you just have to be very high functioning. Yeah. As draining as it is, you get so used to that. Yeah. That when you don't have that in the, anymore in the same way that you like now have to readjust to not sleeping in a bed with another person. Yeah. It throws you off. Yeah. So, you know, I've been trying to to do stuff and working and doing little things, but I definitely feel like that weird thing where now, because I loved this job so much, uh, and I would, I would consider myself unemployed now. Sure. Uh, there are things I'm doing that are kind of more freelancy in terms of how they actually function. Mm-hmm. I've been doing a lot of, not a lot of, but I've been doing some animation voiceover. Cool. But that's very much a thing where they're like, they call you in and you record a bunch of stuff for two hours and then they maybe never call you again. <laughs> yeah. Or they call you in six months later and go, you need to change two words. Yeah. It doesn't feel like you're employed. It feels like, you I gotcha. know, sometimes a friend calls you and asks if you can babysit. Yeah. Creatively, when you're there, it's great. Yeah. But it's it's a very low... I did a voiceover once. I made my rent in 45 minutes. And it's I was the best. Like, Fuck, I'm doing this for the rest of my goddamn life. It's the best, yeah. No, and I <laughs> and feel... And then you don't get called for a while. <laughs> well, I feel like it's... If I had enough voiceover jobs that I was doing a great number of them at the same time, that could equal up yeah. to the level of commitment I felt doing something like the tech. Yeah. You know? Uh, It'll happen again. Yeah. But everyone keeps saying that, right? They're saying it to me a lot. They're like, this was meant to happen. Your next bigger job is is around the corner. And maybe that's true. And I want to believe it's true. And I want to, you know, hear it. But well, this is it's hard. Look, I don't want to be a sad bastard about it. But this is the the fundamental truth. You want to believe that, Mm -hmm. right? And there's a very good chance that you and I will find other jobs that we find that gratifying, that satisfying. Yeah, that stimulating. Stimulating, what, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know, uh, where we feel that same level of engagement and pride in the work we're doing, whatever it is. But also, you you might not ever. Like, we're... <laughs> I'm, I'm saying... We're done. He's canceled. I'm we're saying done. <laughs> you, the royal you, right? I got you. Like, I do I think about... I took it as Anna. You no, might not. No, we might not, right? Yeah, and, and And anyone in our kind of position might not because it's like, you're incredibly lucky to have gotten the chance to do that once. Yeah. Like, most people never get to do that once. And the hope is because you've done it once, you've proven to people that you can do it, and eventually another one will present itself. But also, like, I try to... And this is the fatalistic part of me, but I try to just put it in perspective where I'm like, if that was the last time I did something of that size that I felt that level of pride in, engagement with, and whatever, like, I I came out way ahead, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Like, I did so much more than I ever actually thought I was going to do when I dropped out of college. Mm -hmm. I hope my 
my career isn't now diminishing returns. No, oh my God, no. But, but, no, but, but I'm but saying you're this also all... a creator and you write and you make stuff. So sure. if no one's going to present it to you, because yeah. that might not happen, I always believe, yeah, no, no, then you fucking go out there and you'll make it happen for yourself yeah. and you'll write the, the, the show or the part right. or the whatever you want to happen. But to get, to get back to the, the notion of this podcast, it is that thing of like, well, then you're putting the burden on yourself of <laughs> I need to start a company just so they can then employ me. Yes. You know, if you're trying to make your own project, it's like, well, now I'm not trying to get hired. I'm trying to get someone to let me hire myself. Exactly. Yeah. Which is ultimately if dream it works, big, baby. Dream right, big. Right. It's the big dream. But I feel, yeah, I feel good about all of it relatively. <laughs> But also, you know, you being like a week past this thing happening and yeah. me being like nine, ten months past it happening, it still like comes and goes and waves. Yeah. I literally just sometimes miss like waking up at five o'clock in the morning and how the bagels tasted when I was so exhausted that my face was numb. Yeah. You know, and there's no actual romanticism to that as a thing. Nope. But I, know. I just associate it with the feeling of being there and going like, I have something to do today. Yeah. You know, and it's such a good feeling. At the end of the day, like that's, you know, we want to be employed because we want to have the resources to survive. Yep. But you also want to feel needed. Like you want to feel like there's a reason for me to be getting out of bed and doing something and ultimately this will help someone. Yeah. Well, today it was this. Yeah. And you've helped me and everyone listening. So... This is honestly you did. I, I'm. I know I'm not paying you exactly what your writer is asking right now. It's a little lower than my quote. It's, but I'm really sorry. That. Yeah, we didn't even have coffee for him. We're a fucking mess. I just felt like if you're asking me on your show, I should make this the therapy episode. <laughs> it was perfect. Cool. It was great. Cool. You were wonderful, and I do know big things are in store. But I feel the same way about you. It just in the moment you Griffs. you don't Griffy. you don't feel that way downtown right. doggy no yeah. <laughs> downtown doggy downtown doggy I just G. made that up yeah no that's the name Griffy yeah. what was downtown it? Griffy names downtown Griffy but Nooms. maybe now it's downtown doggy G downtown Griffy Nooms yeah. with a Z yeah thank you so much for being my here pleasure, you've lifted truly. my spirits I want to give you a big hug this was uh, very we'll hug when this is done we just don't want to get in the way of the microphones right now yeah um, but so. I'm I am very excited to see what you do next oh, thank and to you. say the thing that I can't say to myself because I don't believe it if I'm trying to say this to myself as words of encouragement and I'm sure you feel the same way sure uh, I feel like you have you know like karate kid style built up all these weird muscles now. <laughs> You know, do. through doing such a specific job from yeah. all the things that like HQ asked of you and doing it for that long at that level, at that success rate, like you've built up these weird muscles now where it's like, well, maybe there's not a clear like next HQ that you're suited for because of that. Yeah. But whatever the next big job is, it's going to be something where you suddenly find that you have things that no one else can do because of this weird, insane job you did. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. That's helpful. I am a week out, so yeah, I needed to hear that. Eventually. Are you ready to play 12 questions? No? Yes. Yeah. Okay, here we yeah. go. Okay. Uh, all right, we got to end this, but you're wonderful. Where can, every, where can we find you? Where can uh, they listen to Listen you? to Blank Check with Griffin and David. Um, Say that better. Listen to Blank Check with Griffin and David. Thanks. He it's has a podcast. A podcast about movies, <laughs> uh, which I love. 
Um, I love movies, not my own podcast. Uh, although I do like it, and I want people to listen to it's it. It's great. You guys um, are great. And I'm Griff Lightning on social media. Uh, yeah, and then I've been doing more voiceover stuff, so I'm on our cartoon president. Congrats. Uh, which is an animated sitcom about the Trump family on Showtime, where I, of course, play neurotic, terrified Jew, Jared Kushner. Oh, congratulations. Uh, typecasting. Yeah, even in animation. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then I, the thing I'm really excited about uh, is, and I don't know when it'll premiere, it'll probably be a year from now, but um, uh, Masters of the Universe Revelation, which is the reboot of He-Man, which oh. is one of my favorite cartoons ever. Uh-huh. Uh, and I'm playing Orko, who's like my favorite character. Brian just showed more emotion than I've ever seen. If you know He-Man and you made it through listening to me whine for the last hour plus of this podcast, you will understand why I uh, was so single-mindedly focused on trying to get hired to play Orca. Wow. He's a little floating troll who casts magical spells. Wow. Don't forget, I watched The Bachelor, so yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'll be watching. Yeah, so I'm playing Orca 2021, I think. Or maybe the end of this year. Who knows? Animation takes a long time. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, that was it. I'm Anna Roisman. You can find me, you know, at Anna Roisman or at Unemployed PDCST. We went the Tinder style for podcasting uh, for a for a Twitter handle. Also, I launched a Patreon. I hate that I did, but I had to. So hey, it's all about if you Patreon. love it, if you like it, throw us a couple bucks on the Patreon, and I'll I'll talk to you soon. Bye, bye. Hey, I got to shout out some of our very special patrons. I got a lot of love for Eric Lang, John Ediger, Scott Menke, and Vic. Shout out to all of you. You are my latest patrons, and I am so grateful for you. They are donating to the podcast. They believe in me. You're giving some, you know, some some money to an unemployed gal with an unemployed podcast, and I can't tell you how much it is appreciated. And hey, if you're listening to this and you're like, what's a patron? How do I become one? How do I get a special shout out like Scott? Oh, I gave him another one. Then you can just check out patreon.com slash unemployed with Anna. You'll find the podcast there. You can donate $5, $10, $25. I don't know, maybe $50 if you're feeling really fancy. And we have lots of other rewards there too. You can do an AMA with me where I will answer any of your questions. I'm an open book or I will send you a personalized video. We have fun. It's fun. I'm giving you something more. You're going to get exclusive content and it's worth it in my opinion. That's why you're listening to this podcast, right?